This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. Uh, Chilling here on a Saturday night. Just watched uh, the Moorhead State Eagles, the only other college I visited in high school, I'll point out. Uh, Clinch a ticket to the big dance, so shout out to to the Moorhead State Eagles and Former UK staffer Preston Spradlin. It's a huge turnaround for them this year. Going to the big dance for the first time in 10 years. So always like pulling for the in-state schools. Yeah, absolutely. Always for the the schools in the state of Kentucky, uh, especially if those teams can make it to the NCAA tournament. Uh, I just got in, Derek. Uh, long day. Put in, a, put in a lot of time today. Uh, last game at Rupp Arena, Kentucky was able to get a win over South Carolina in impressive fashion. It was something Kentucky's not been able to do since probably that Moorhead game, right? The last time yeah. they were able to just kind of coast to a victory. And as I was coasting my way home, I passed by the Butcher's Pub in Pineville, Kentucky. I got that location. You got one in Williamsburg and then a third one coming to London pretty soon, Derek. You can visit the butcherspub.com or you can check them out on Facebook. Uh, but Speaking of Kentucky basketball, we mentioned the big win today versus South Carolina. And, and any win this season has been a big win. And it's it's a big one, Derek, because it gives them some momentum going in, into the SEC tournament. Davion Mintz and B.J. Boston were, were great today. Uh, Davion Mintz has been playing very well, but they both got hot from three-point range. I think they combined for 12 made threes, six each. I think that's the most – is it is the most by a Kentucky duo in a game? Was it Jamal Mashburn? Who was the other one? Travis Ford. Travis Ford. Uh, so pretty historic day at Rupp Arena. It really was. I mean, that was, uh, you know, Boston's was a little bit more steady, kind of spread out a little bit more throughout the game, whereas Mance hit his flurry there in the second half. He had five of his and, of course, three in a – or five in a, five in a row, right? No, three, three, three straight, three straight possessions. He knocked down threes, and on that third one, when he pulled up in front of uh, John Calipari, you know, Rupp was Rupp was pretty loud, about as loud as it could get in a year like this, and um, that was really cool. Uh, and like you said in the in the pregame or not the pregame, just the, kind of the intro here, South Carolina. That was the first time. I mean, Kentucky led by the largest lead was 33 points with three minutes left, and that was the most since the opening game against Moorhead. Real quick, looking back, is that one of the more shocking results maybe of the season? Is that UK beat what turned out to be the OVC's best team uh, by a very healthy margin? They beat them 81 to 45 back on November 25th. Yeah. And it, that's the night that we kind of thought, just watching Kentucky just in that setting, 
they didn't have the exhibition season, uh, didn't have the normal preseason. We all kind of got sucked into thinking this team was going to be what? Pretty electric offensively, especially lethal in transition. So, yeah, I, I would say given the other games that we watched, the way that they started the season and the way that they ended the season, I don't think that those two outcomes would have surprised anyone if they had had the middle that we expected on the half. Yeah. But you know, it, if you think about it, man, looking back, this this was not a – I mean, if Moorhead State, and they are the, they're the lowest-rated team on Ken Palm, but they ended up being the best team in their conference. I mean, Richmond – Ended up being a little bit disappointing based on what they were preseason. But, man, that was a tough stretch looking back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Georgia Tech ended up. They're going to be a tournament team. Notre Dame is not going to be a tournament team, honestly. I just don't see any way they make it unless they win the ACC. But they came up with some big wins throughout the year. North Carolina, Louisville, of course, are all teams that are solid. And maybe Cal was on to something, man, about that uh, stretch back then. Even though it didn't seem like it in the moment, it turned out to be pretty difficult. And – does today – I know we've talked a lot on this show this week. You know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that they're going to go win the SEC tournament. I think I even said that. Um, I know you and I have talked about it, you know, off air a couple of times. Does today's results – I don't want to get caught up in beating South Carolina, but seeing the way that they closed the season with some momentum, hearing Davion Mintz's comments after the game, and then B.J. Boston finding his rhythm from three-point range today. Do you feel a little bit better today than you did maybe Wednesday when we recorded going into this SEC tournament? Do you think they have a chance, Derek? Uh, do I feel better about it? Sure. Yeah, I don't, I, I, absolutely. I mean, they, they played well today. It was one of the few really good, feel-good moments of the year. I mean, when they got up by that much, you – you saw guys that typically would get to play at other points, you know, in a normal season who, you know, the Brendan Canada's of the world, um, obviously the walk-ons, but I mean, man, to, uh, to another extent, Cam Fletcher getting in the game, someone who's, you know, he had played what one minute of SEC basketball prior to today. And he got to go in there and had a dunk, got to the free throw line. Like there were plenty of things to feel good about, especially when you're talking about what Mintz did. Um, and then Boston as well. But, you know, it's – I don't know if I feel any more strongly that they'll make a push. I mean, I just – that's going to be tough. Just four games in four days is very difficult. Um, what I will say is that I think they will be a very tough out for whoever it is. I think they will go down there and play with their hair on fire. And, and you know, I don't think they're going to be a team that, that teams are going to be happy to see, especially if they do beat um, – it's solidified, yeah, that they play Mississippi State, right? That, yeah. that is confirmed. Yeah, play them at the, the first game on Thursday. Yeah, so if they Thursday. beat Mississippi State at noon, like I don't think Alabama will be thrilled about having to play Kentucky for a third time. But on the other hand, you know, this is a team that they have, you know, they beat Kentucky by 20 and up and then finished very strongly against UK. So I don't think, you know, certainly won't be intimidated because they, they beat them twice. But at the same time, I don't know what Nate Oates is going to say publicly, but I would say privately you would rather play Mississippi State. You would rather play probably some other teams that having to deal with Kentucky's length and just – I mean, we've seen this Kentucky team a few times this year when they played very well. I mean, they're they're tough. I mean, you never know what you're going to get. Um, but there's enough to, to cause some problems for Alabama. I mean, easy to forget, Sean, that they were ahead in that Final Four, going to that Final Four media timeout at, uh, at Alabama before they really just let go of the rope. But it could happen, but it's going to be tough, no question. Yeah, and – 
going to play a Mississippi State team, Derek, that has never beaten John Calipari since he's been in the SEC. Mississippi yeah. State's the one team that is that Kentucky has not lost to under John Calipari. You, at some point, you know it's going to happen. You, I guess Kentucky fans, you definitely hope it doesn't happen Thursday. But how about this? Getting the seed that they got, Derek, it doesn't change any of those game times that Kentucky fans are used to playing in. Because no, when Kentucky's the one seed, they play the first game on Friday, and then they play the first game on Saturday, and then, the, of course, the championship game on Sunday. So if Kentucky makes a run at it, it will be the exact times that everybody's used to playing in, in the, the on the years that they're good. Yeah. Go ahead and give that other stat, too, that you had. Let's say that they do beat Mississippi State and then have to play Alabama. What's not a very pretty history for Alabama in the SEC tournament. It's against not. Uh, Alabama hasn't beaten Kentucky in the SEC tournament dating back to, was it 1983? What I yeah. Thought, Derek? yeah. So, oh, I think they're 0-11 is what I saw uh, against Kentucky in the SEC tournament with losses four, four times since 2016. So they, they I remember those games. And then, of course, the game the last time that Kentucky played in the SEC tournament, I think they beat. That was, yeah, 2019, Tyler Hero and then beat Alabama on that opening night. Yep. So, and they lost to Tennessee. Yeah. But, uh, so it's one of those situations where history's on Kentucky's side kind of in both of these things, right? You, you've beaten Mississippi State every single time in the Cal Air, and then the success against Alabama in the SEC tournament. Yeah, I mean, history will be on Kentucky's side, but I would say if you go through, you know, enough of those stats, I'd say Kentucky – I mean, obviously under Cal, it's been a tournament they've really dominated from uh, yeah. from the get-go. How many times have they won it now? 2010, 2011, 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018? 18. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, they've had a few years uh, where, where they didn't win it. I mean, it's kind of funny. You think about the national championship team that did not win an SEC. They won the regular season, obviously, but not the tournament. But um, could argue back then if, if you want to take the whole thinking that, you know, the team needed a loss because they hadn't lost since like December. So only twice year. have they not played in the finals in the Calipari era, right? Yeah, so the NIT season and then, uh, and then Tower Hero. upset by Tennessee, yeah. yeah Tower Hero's not the 19 season. Maybe which... that wasn't an upset that year. Was that an upset? I, can't, I mean, they were split in the regular season. I don't know who was favored that day. Um, but, no, that's obviously we will spend a lot of time on uh, that this week. On that this week. Um, and we're still waiting on the bracket to be official. We, are, so we don't yeah. know. There's still some shakeup there with Tennessee and Florida. But the the big stuff today, Derek, and I know that's what you're about to get to, was it, it wasn't as much the game as it was Calipari's postgame press conference. And like it has been all season, we've had a lot of topics come from that. <laughs> but today, today was a little different because John Calipari was – he's always talking, but he was speaking to someone today. And yes. was and the thing that we're trying to figure out is was it BJ Boston or was it you mentioned this to me when we were at Rupp Arena working this afternoon that you think that he was talking to NBA scouts and the NBA people that are going to be giving feedback. Yeah, well, I'm more so mean that. Well, do you have the audio for that? We can play it. Yeah, yeah, we have. My bad. Yeah, we have the audio of that. So this is John Calipari post game today when he was asked about B.J. Boston, and he went into – he went in, he, he kind of transitioned to talking about Emmanuel Quickly and P.J. Washington and guys who have decided to return in the past for a sophomore season that it worked out for. So we're kind of looking at this. 
as interesting quote. So we'll let you listen to it, and then we'll discuss it. It's also eye-opening to know, as an individual player, man, physically, I'm this thing is, I'm not where I need to be physically. And so, you know, we've had other guys, and it was like Emmanuel Quickly. Emmanuel Quickly walked in my office and said, Coach, I know you said this would be hard. This after his freshman year. This is way harder than I thought, and I didn't have a good year. But I'm coming back, and you watch. No one will outwork me. Those are the guys that should come back. That mentality, P.J. Washington, that mentality. I'm not coming back to do showtime. I'm not coming back to say, hey, this is my team. I am coming back because I'm going to get better, and I can accept that I didn't play the way I needed to play. And this is way harder than I thought. Are you hoping then that BJ is the guy who's willing to say that to you? Well, I, you know, again, every kid has – I'll spend three minutes with each of these kids. I don't spend that much time on this. I'm not trying to – you know, I like when kids go through the process because the teams aren't going to lie to them. They're going to tell them the truth. Um, going through the process is good. So, you know, whether it's any of these guys, um, you know, they – you. You can't be delusional because if you are, it'll catch you. You have to be real, and you can't blame anybody for your performance. You own it. And then you say, here's what I can do and how I can get better. But, like, right now, I'm not worried about that and neither of these guys. They're worried about taking a day, having a couple practices, and let's get ready for a tournament one game at a time, one game, four different days. Yeah, so with those quotes, um, I, I had a couple of things from it. First of all, I, I'm trying to figure out the motivation, Sean, and, and Cal saying this. And I can't necessarily remember a time – maybe it's happened. I, I don't really remember him being this explicit, I guess I should say. One, before the season is even over. And two, I don't know how you look at that as anything other than a sales pitch to come back. Whenever he went out of his way to bring up quickly, the part that says it to me and why I say that is this. He used Emmanuel quickly as an example, and he said, quickly said, this is way harder than I thought, and I didn't have a good year, but I'm coming back, and you watch. No one will outwork me. Those are the guys that should come back, that mentality. And he talked about P.J. Washington as well. You know, he's saying people need to come back so they can get better because they didn't play the way that he thought he should. Obviously, he's talking about Boston there. Yeah, Boston... When, when I, what I meant by the NBA thing is he, he said he likes it when the kids test the waters. I, I don't know what Cal you know says to these guys in the meetings that he has at the end of the year. I really don't know if he says, hey, you should meeting. come back. Yes, yeah, it's, it's three-minute meetings that he has with those guys. I don't know if he says, hey, I think you should come back. I don't, I don't know how it goes. What I meant by the NBA thing is my thought is either, one, Cal hopes, or two, Cal thinks the NBA will tell him physically he's not ready yet. Yeah. for the NBA. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to stop BJ from still going, but because of what we heard today, I, I have to think that – does it at least give you more hope maybe? Well, it does, and I think it's clear that Calipari wants him. Right, be. yes. And I and I don't know if it's been – like you just mentioned, like does Cal send these guys on? We don't know. Does he tell some of them to come back? I don't know, but it, it feels like that this one was kind of one where he, one, I think he's hoping B.J. Boston is hearing that, 
And then I think you're you're spot on too uh, with talking about you know the NBA and all that. That you know what will those guys say to BJ Boston? Do they tell him, "No, nah, you're fine. Come on, you'll get better in the league." Yeah, with with more time. Uh, but given the Kentucky's roster and what it looks like next season, the one thing that we've been talking about for weeks is this this missing piece on the perimeter. Uh, if Davion Mintz returns, what he's doing right now, Derek, I really like Davion Mintz on that roster, whether it's as a starter or coming off the bench. But if you can add B.J. Boston, like a few weeks ago it was Terrence Clark we were talking about, that if he would surprise some people and decide, hey, look, I'm going to come back to Kentucky for another year, I think we kind of ruled out B.J. Boston. But hearing those comments today and then watching how B.J. has kind of fought, you know, BJ's starting to fight when you when you see some plays, and you can kind of pick some plays out in every game he's played in where you're starting to say, okay, this kid's starting to put it together a little bit, but then the physical weaknesses are still there. He's fallen right now. You see projections, what, late first round, somewhere in that range. Yeah. If, if he comes back, you and I have mentioned this multiple times in text to one another, we could really see this kid taking off and becoming – a really good player. I mean, if he developed and, and added to his game and got stronger, I don't I don't see what would be stopping him from being a potential All-American. Uh, I mean, he has to get more efficient, that's for sure. He's got plenty of things to work on, but you wonder. The big thing for him, and I think this is not rocket science, but one of the reasons that is, I feel like his shooting percentage is so bad is because, as we've seen all year, he really struggles to get to the rim, so he doesn't get many easy baskets. So he's basically a jump shooter this year, and that's all. And if you're having a tough time getting to the rim in college, you know, I know the NBA is a little bit more of a spread-out game. You know, you can take some more guys off one-on-one, but the strength, too. I mean, if BJ is 19 years old next year going up against, you know, a 32-year-old guard, it might not be so easy to succeed. Um, did want to point out, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I thought Emmanuel Quickly and PJ Washington were um, interesting examples to use. Obviously. The pitch is that those are two guys that came back and, and were just great as sophomores, and that really helped their their draft stock. So it's easy to see why he made the comparison to those guys in that sense. But what do you think, though, in terms of, of the kind of the status that those guys had, though? I mean, quickly was not on any draft board, I would say, after his freshman year. P.J. was, but P.J. was not where B.J. is, basically. Yeah, I think P.J. was like a mid to late second rounder. Or it made a lot of sense for him to come back. Whereas BJ, I mean, you think about his kind of his stature coming in, man. He was a projected top five pick, and now he's still in a spot like we said earlier. He's still in a spot where he's in the first round on, on some of these mock drafts. So I wonder how much that pitch will will kind of resonate with him if that is the route. And we don't know for sure, but I would think Cal might be, you know, using those two guys as an example. Do you think that you know? Because right before Cal said that, he was talking about what with BJ. He was talking about his work ethic and yeah. being in the gym. Do you think that Cal is kind of maybe tried trying to relate him to those two guys with the way Emmanuel quickly was always in the gym working, PJ Washington was always in the gym working, and how it worked out for two of those guys who were the hardest workers like two of the hardest workers. Do you, do you think that was the connection yeah. that he may be kind of pulled apart with that to kind of reference those two because obviously 
for every P.J. Washington, Emmanuel Quickly story, you could throw out an Ashton Hagens or an E.J. Montgomery story, right, when winning it comes Gabriel. to a sophomore year. Or, yeah, winning Gabriel. But it, I think that Cal is looking at this now, Derek, that, you know, they've obviously they've offered Trevor Kills. We talked about this today. And you were like, if you can get B.J. Boston back, you still go get Trevor Kills. <laughs> you know, you obviously want yeah, to add that to yeah. your roster. But do you think Cal is looking at this now and saying, okay, there's not this clear-cut guy out there in college basketball that is obviously in the portal. You don't know who's going to go in there. And if they do, you don't know if you're going to get him. There's no one outside of Kills really on the high school landscape of things. Do you think Cal's looking at this thinking, okay, not only does B.J. Boston kind of need Kentucky, but Kentucky needs B.J. Boston next year. Who needs the other more? Kentucky needs B.J. Boston more. <laughs> they do. Well, I laugh at that, but like, that. but the the rep, though, I mean, if, if you think about the reputation, Cal, whether it's fair or not, I don't know if we really know. The reputation he has, they just push his guys out the door, right? It is. So this is, at the very least, a public. That he never puts the program before the player. Yeah, well, um, but this was a very much a public, like, you know, he didn't outright say Then, Then he was asked, I mean, he was straight up asked by Kyle Tucker, like, are you hoping BJ comes to you and tells you what Emmanuel told you, that he knows he's not ready and he needs another year? And he, he I, I would say he backed off a little. He didn't come right out and say it. Um, uh, obviously, you know, he's talking about wanting those kids to go through the process, and that's when he mentioned the NBA. I, I get the feeling, obviously, that, that Cal – if he's thinking about BJ's best interest, and I have no reason this deep into the Cal Perry tenure to think that he doesn't have the kid's best interest in mind. Yeah, I, I really think he probably feels like for BJ's sake, for him to, um, I guess, prolong a career in the NBA or, or maximize his abilities, it, he would have a, a really good reason to come back to school. And that's another thing, too, where it's different with, with uh, you know, I mentioned PJ and Emmanuel, where, you know, they didn't have draft stock to where it was you know they needed to come back I feel like and then they made the right decisions whereas BJ like I go back and forth on it because I can see a scenario where if BJ left if he was picked even if it was like first round if he made those improvements I could see him in the NBA in a few years but he's one of those guys though that we don't usually see come back I mean have we ever seen someone in his stature come back? Like, Scal would have been the guy probably who compares them the most in terms of how their careers have played out. And I don't know that Scal even considered coming back. And he left, and he did stick in the league for a little bit. Obviously, it's two different situations. You're talking about a big man versus a, versus a wing like BJ is. But, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense for BJ, but you just got to wonder where his head is, man, because he was a highly rated recruit on a – somewhat famous high school team <laughs> with LeBron James's son and, and Dwayne Wade's son and the two other five-star guys on that team. I can't imagine under any scenario he thought he would be at Kentucky for a second year. So what I don't know is if BJ has, has gone to a point where he's considered coming back, if, if he is – it very much just feels like Cal wanting wanting BJ to recognize. And it's not us saying that BJ – maybe BJ does recognize that. We, we don't know because we barely talked to him this year. He's not done too many media interviews, but maybe privately BJ has expressed something to Cal that at least had Cal comfortable enough to want to talk about this in a press conference. Because he was that was basically unprompted. He got asked a question about BJ, but not yeah. in that way that he took the question. Yeah. Yeah, he cre- he created the story pretty yeah. much with his quote. And and to me, this seems like if BJ does come back, 
I think this is one of those situations where it helps the program. It helps the team next year, but I think it does help DJ Boston if he comes yeah, no back. Question. I think this could be a you scratch my back, I scratch yours scenario. I, 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 that's the way that I look at it. Um, I'm trying to find the exact question because it would show up in the quotes, I'm pretty sure, right? If I'm not mistaken, from uh, Calipari's press conference. I'm well, what he was you. talking about was what Kyle was asking, paraphrasing, was just about BJ having those comments preseason about wanting to be the best player ever, things like that, and how he's kind of handled, you know, not having a great season. Yeah. And and that's when Cal went on to that and talking about, his, you know, how it wasn't a mental problem for him. It was just he physically can't do what, what, <laughs> what his mind tells him to. And No, I mean, it would be, like you said, it would be huge. Uh, I mean, for, you know, really the only other guy you could say who probably had a clear – clear-cut path of being a first-round draft, but like Terrence Jones, di- different era back then. Uh, obviously, it was still was, was the early stages of the one-and-done era, but he could have been a first-round pick, uh, most likely, and, and decided to come back, whereas don't you think BJ would kind of be unique in this ride if he did choose to come back? I mean, a former top-five recruit, I don't know any other guy, unless I'm forgetting somebody obvious, who – who is, you know, but there aren't many guys who are in his shoes where, like, it seems so obvious that if he comes back, he and, and does just a few things and gets a little bit more help from, from maybe some better point guard play next year. I mean, a kid who could really blow up. There have been other kids in that situation like him who we have said that about. You know, if you come back for a sophomore year, you could really take off. You could really help the team. And those guys have often left. So, I don't know. So, so where are you today after hearing that? Are you leaning any other way, or are you still kind of – because me, personally, I'm still kind of – I'll believe it when I see it, but I'm intrigued, I guess, is the way I would phrase it. I'm starting to think he comes back. But it depends on how this season closes. If he goes on a run in the SEC tournament and plays well, I, I think that you could see him go out the door. But if it's the same B.J., that it has been, you know, have a good moment, have a down moment. I could see it and be a little bit more intrigued, like you said. But I'm I'm very intrigued now. Like I, I didn't even give it a chance until but like you said, Cal I don't think Cal's gonna say that unless there's something to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't think that Cal would have Cal obviously thinks it's a possibility or he wouldn't have put it out there like that today. I don't think Cal Cal's when it comes to stuff like that, Cal's always been very good with the way he words things, and I don't think he's ever kind of put one, put someone out there, but that was kind of a situation where now I think the whole fan base is going to start gearing up and thinking, does B.J. Boss return? Usually, if they're wondering if someone's going to return, it's in that process from mid-March to mid-April where a parent says something. This wasn't a parent. This was John Calipari that created kind of the conversation and the topic with some of his words, which, you know, I I was actually talking to you about this before we started recording. Uh, Justin Rowland had a very good question. There's just a kind of a scenario type thing just to have some fun with on Twitter. But he said, if you could choose one out of Keon Brooks Jr. next year or B.J. Boston coming back, just one of the two, which one would you choose? You and I both said B.J. Boston. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm someone who believes you know Keon Brooks could have all SEC potential if he comes yeah. back, but just for the sake of the roster and what next year's team would need to kind of maximize its 
its abilities, like no, no question. The, I mean, the ceiling that BJ Boston has is one of the highest in college basketball, I'd argue, next year. And my understanding from talking to a few people is, you know, next year's draft class is not viewed right now as just an absolutely loaded class. So perhaps BJ sees a way to build off what he did this year, do some of those things that the NBA is going to tell him to improve on. If he does that, I'm, I don't. I don't really envision any scenario next year where BJ would not be a lottery pick yeah. or not be drafted higher, unless it just. I mean, no, nobody's come back to UK their sophomore year and just bombed, have they? That I could. That was that. That was considered, you know. Basically, I just don't see him losing draft that stock. That hurt. That hurt their draft stock. I don't. Recall. I mean, like maybe someone like Alex Poitras back then. Like I don't remember where he was projected after his freshman year, but for someone like Poitras who. You know, I'd say his stock might have only his stock might have been highest, honestly, after that Duke game his freshman year. That That's might have true. been as as highly thought of as he was. But obviously, like totally different situation. That you know, Boston really Boston in terms of a ranking man is more in line with the guys like the Harrison twins. Obviously, they came back. I think those guys were like fifth or sixth in their class, right around where BJ was. But they, from what I remember, were not getting first round buzz after their freshman season. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't want to go off too much on the spill all that because I think his situation is a little – I don't know if there's really anybody else we can compare this to, honestly. He's he's just kind of unique this way. Yeah, it, it's definitely going to be a topic now. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time talking about it when the season is over. Uh, but the other thing that kind of came out of today that stood out to me was it was an opportunity to play a lot of guys today, Derek. You saw oh, yeah. Lance Ware get some clock. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Devin Askew's minutes are completely different than what they were a couple of weeks ago. But you were able to see some some things happen. And just getting a feel of, you know, what's going to happen here in the SEC tournament. You know, do you see Lance Ware play a little bit more? But I, I thought it was good to see to see Lance get some minutes there. And uh, obviously, Cameron Fletcher getting in the game and his first, you know, extended minutes since he, he was sent home by John Calipari. You know, he got in the game at Missouri early in February, but it was like for a possession or two. And it was kind of because of foul trouble. That was the only reason <laughs> he got to play in that situation. So today felt like one of those opportunities where Cal was like, you know, here, here's your chance. Uh, I think what happened in December is officially buried. I don't think that it will be brought back up. I think that it's done. And, you know, good for Cameron, like good for Cam Fletcher. I mean, I think that's uh, that's cool to see that he was able to bounce back and get back on the floor. I know when he first left in December, we were wondering if he would even come back to Lexington. But he's handled it. Obviously, we don't know the entire situation or what Cameron Fletcher's thinking long term. Uh, but it was good to see him out there on the floor. Zan Payne gets out there, gets a basket. The entire bench cleared it today, which uh, for a season that they've had with only nine wins, it was good to see the entire team happy one time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Very feel good victory um, for them. And I counted just now nine guys who played double digit minutes, which is, is you know pretty high number. <laughs> yeah. Kind of nine guys played that much. And you're right. I, speaking of ask you, I felt like he did a much better job today and in that smaller sample size. And I could see that being a role that he plays next year. Yeah. I said earlier 15 to 20 minutes on a previous episode today at 19 well, that yeah. probably sounds about right for yeah, where he'll and, be next year and if nolan hickman davion mintz 
are on the roster, and let's just say for the fun of it, B.J. Boston is, yes, Devin Askew will play a, a different role next year. Like oh, yeah. I, I just think that that would be – which wouldn't be a bad thing. If you can – if they could somehow pull this off and their backcourt features Devin Askew, Davion Mintz, B.J. Boston, and then you throw in a McDonald's All-American and Nolan Hickman, look at the experience and minutes played in that backcourt next year. Yeah, I mean history would suggest it could be a pretty good season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you throw in the you throw in the experience in the front court. I guess I hate to keep going back to the BJ Boston topic, but I will tell you this. Well, it's probably the biggest topic we'll talk about. Assuming they get beat out in the SEC tournament, that will be the most talked about thing afterwards. Will be it will NBA be a decision. And and BJ Boston, if he decides to return, Derek, it changes the way I look at next year. Yeah, entirely, sure. completely. Like it's it's no longer will they even be any better? No. Uh, if he returns, it changes the way I look at it completely. Just because I still think we all expect Keon Brooks to return, even though that Justin Rowland kind of created that that topic there on Twitter. I, I don't see Keon Brooks going anywhere. No, I don't either. And then you know Jacob Toppin, uh, Oscar Sheboy. I mean, you still got all these pieces there. That you can that you really like, and then you throw in Damian Collins, Bryce Hopkins, who's been playing very well. That starting to kind of catch my eye. Could is he one of those guys that outperforms where he's ranked? We've we've Good. seen guys do that at Kentucky. It's I'm ready for it to see how it all plays out, I guess. But yeah, it um I don't know if they've had a time. Maybe maybe that 2011 team. I don't. I can't. Do you remember if Miller was a double-digit scorer in 2011, his junior year? Because in a scenario that meant um, Boston and Brooks came back, that would be three guys. I believe. I believe uh, Brooks is still averaging double figures. That would be three guys who average double figures, which is very, very, very rare for Kentucky to have that many guys come back who average that. So, like, from that standpoint alone, you could be – and then, I mean, it doesn't necessarily – it doesn't work this way, but Sheboy averaged 11 points as a freshman, nine rebounds at West Virginia. So, you take that into account, too. Um, I, I think certainly nationally, too, the outlook on Kentucky will be much different if a guy like Boston, who's a very well-known freshman, decides to come back. Yeah, he averaged uh, – Darius Miller averaged 10.9 points. During that 2011 Final Four run that season, what did, what did Lamb average? Uh, let me look that up real quick. So, how many did you say um, would be would be back if if he does come back? Would they have three? Three, yeah. Which would be significantly more than they usually have, right? Uh, yeah, so this year their lead score was what? Keon Brooks with three. So, Deron Lamb averaged 12.3. Yeah, so they have three on that team. And I was, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to be. Winning the national championship next year. I'm just saying history suggests, you know, those when guys have been in the program for more than one year. Yeah, like they'll, they'll, they should be a pretty good team if, if they get that many back. So I'll be curious if, if, you know, we could say this kind of conversation before if BJ does come back, but I, I would think an unexpected return like that would cause a ripple effect elsewhere, either on the current roster or how they consider closing out this, you know, transfer portal, things like that, because obviously the need will not be as great if they get B.J. back. So 
appreciate John Calipari saying that today. It gave us something more than just the game. And that's what did. to talk about. You came up to me and you said, you want to record later? <laughs> I kind of, kind of want to talk I was about like, the kind BJ of, stuff. I was just kind of like not necessarily – I mean, I wouldn't say I was zoned out, but I was just kind of – it was kind of a normal press conference after a game. And then Cal started talking about quickly and started talking about guys coming back and saying so-and-so should come back and – I got very intrigued at that point because it I just cannot recall him doing that for anybody no. else. No. And and I didn't think we were going to have much to to really work and you know talk about today. I thought it was going to be just, you know, they won the season finale, Cal's going to say this and that, the SEC bracket's going to come out, but no, there was there was quite a bit out today. Obviously his comments on Cameron Fletcher saying that's been a total transformation and then the BJ Boston story is kind of just I think it's dominated all of uh Kentucky media. I think we've all written about it today. I think we've all discussed it, talked about it, and and we will know that would be the case too. He did, and then too, you you throw in the performance today. You know, four guys in double figures: Olivier Saar and Isaiah Jackson, both right there. Which one had did Saar have fifteen? Jackson had thirteen. Did I get those right? I couldn't believe this. That was only Jackson's second double double of the year. It's nuts. Unless I miscounted somewhere, but yeah. And and then two. 13 made threes combined today, I think, as a team, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they outscored. Uh, they had 39 points from three versus six for uh, yeah. for South Carolina. I mean, dude, that was a terrible game for South Carolina. It was. They, their guards went, I think, three for 34 today. <laughs> so they, they had a guy. Hannibal went 0 for 8. A.J. Lawson went 2 for 10. And T.J. Moss went 1 for 11. <laughs> so not a fun day for them. Um, Frank Martin, by the way. A guy in South Carolina is rumored either to be on the hot seat or it sounds like what might be happening there is a mutual deal where he might not be back next year. If that's the case, he never won at Rupp Arena wow. against Kentucky. So, and how, how surprising is it that that program made a run at the Final Four four years ago? What's well, kind of the interesting thing? I mean, I, like I said, I have a friend who covers South Carolina, uh, Colin, and we're Colin Taylor. He works for the rival side over there. I've known him for a while. And, you know, the thing I phrased to him is it sounded like there's kind of a – I mean, man, I think he's been in there for, what, nine years now, something like that. That's a long That's time. That's crazy. Like it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like nine years, but yeah. you're right. It has been Well, I think he got years. there in 2012, right? So, yeah. Um, I know Kentucky's he, left Colonial Life Arena – frustrated <laughs> quite a few times since Frank Martin's been there, which is, yeah. and every, I think in every situation – Kentucky was the better team, probably. Yeah, Cal, Cal's been tossed twice down there. Colonial uh, <laughs> yeah. Life Arena. So, uh, but no, I mean, he, he gave them their best postseason run, you know, maybe ever. Uh, certainly, yeah, I mean, certainly for sure their best postseason run ever. I mean, making it to the Final Four at South Carolina when they hadn't even won a tournament game in many, many years before he they got there. They beat Duke. They beat Duke in that stretch. Yeah, then beat, beat Florida in the Elite Eight. I mean, it's uh, that, that just that just goes to show you though that even when you do something historic at a program that never does good things, the clock is ticking on you if it doesn't continue. Well, I'm pretty sure it's his only postseason appearance he's had. Oh, well, yeah. in subway tournament, they might have gone a few NITs, but that's that's probably the tough thing. But we're going to look back 30, 40 years. Well, people are going to look back 50, 60 years from now, you know, when we're gone or however old we are and somebody else is doing this job, and they're going to look and they're going to say, what the hell, in 2017 when they see South Carolina went to the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, they beat a, a Duke team that was a one seed and highly thought of that season. Uh, that was the 
Is that the Marvin Bagley? Or am I missing those names? Marcus is his brother. Yeah, Marvin and Grayson was Allen, that, of course, was still there. And Was uh, that the Bagley team or was that the – what team was Tatum on? That was – Kennard, Kennard was on. I know Kennard and Grayson Allen were on that team. Yeah, I mean, they had quite a few NBA guys. I mean, it was a – the South Carolina yeah. team was basically like Cinderius Thornwell. And they had another NBA guy, didn't they? Someone really good, I'm forgetting. So was that 2016? Dozier, P.J. Dozier. Was that the 2016 run or 2017 when South Carolina went to the Final Four? 17, that was the year De'Aaron Fox was at Kentucky. That's right. Okay. Man. Duke's had just about as much damn turnover as Kentucky has. It's hard to remember all their teams. Well, that's what <laughs> I was talking about. Was... Okay, that was Tatum and Harry Giles and Chase Jeter, Grayson Allen, Luke Kennard, Frank Jackson, Marquise Bolden. Okay, That was Bolden. that team. So not Bagley. Yeah, but that was still – that was the team that was supposed to be really good, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. With Grayson Allen good. coming back as a junior. Kennard ended up being – him and Tatum ended up being their best players. Yeah, it was a good team they beat. Uh, I can't remember who they beat in the Sweet 16. Uh, but, yeah, of course, beating Florida was a – that was a good year for the SEC in the tournament. I mean, of course, he had Kentucky in the late eight as well. Um, but, no, it was uh, – I think Frank Martin is, is a pretty good coach. Just South Carolina, I don't really know what the expectations should be. They're, they're historically one of the worst teams in the conference. It's not an easy place to recruit to. So, I can't say I blame fans for wanting something different after this many years whenever there's really only been one year. But at the same time, I get it from Frank Martin's perspective where he's saying <laughs> – you know, you guys have never had anything like what I gave you in 2017, so kind of be grateful for it. But when you only make one tournament, it's a little tough to sell for for that long. But I, I just can't think of many other jobs, Sean, that might come open in the SEC, though. That might be one of the few to watch. I mean, like maybe, maybe Vanderbilt, but I couldn't. I just can't see it right now. No. I can't see Vanderbilt getting rid of Jerry Stackhouse after two years. Well, and then it would it would be that they just got rid of a coach a couple of years ago too. That's got rid of Bryce Drew, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that kind of – yeah, that, that that just seems like it would be too quick. I think at least another year for sure. Um, but it's going to be interesting to follow. Uh, I think we know what the topics are going to be in the spring and then going into summer. Obviously, we're going to be B.J. Boston and these NBA draft decisions. We've already talked about how big of a topic Reed Shepard's going to be and stuff. By the way, North Laurel got absolutely destroyed. They had a rough trip to Lexington this weekend. They did. They got crushed last night, too. So they took two pretty big L's, number two team in the state. Yep. So we'll be we'll be following that as well to see if uh, Reed Shepard will be playing at Rupp Arena in the state tournament here in a few weeks. It's weird because that tournament would be firing up here pretty soon, right, in a normal year. It would be happening, I think, this coming – the next week, I think, the first week of the NCAA tournament is when they usually have it. So – uh, we'll be following all the high school stuff with that, obviously with Reed Shepard. And then uh, I'll, I'll ask you just for a fun question right now before we wrap this thing up. Let's say Kentucky goes on to win the SEC tournament. Let's say they go on a run and win four games. If they do, who is your MVP that you think would have to do it to get them there? Um, I wanted to say Jackson, but I feel like in a four-game span, he's liable to be in foul trouble, <laughs> significant foul trouble, at least a few of those. I, I would probably say Mance at this point just because 
We've seen him go off a few times. He's going to play the most minutes, most likely. I think he needs to be really good for them to do that. Um, it's immense. Yeah. Yeah, that would yeah. be my pick. Yeah. We've uh, we've agreed a lot <laughs> on this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to entertain B.J. Boston. But, look, if B.J. Boston runs off and gets MVP of the SEC tournament, then we can kind of throw out the whole thing that we just talked about. So, yeah, Davion Mintz. Uh, would be my pick too, but we'll, we'll talk about all that this week. We might even make try to make game by game predictions to see how that bracket plays out. We know there's one thing, Derek. The SEC tournament it's entertaining. Uh, there's a lot of teams that if Kentucky's not going to be the one to do it, then it opens the door for some of these programs that haven't won one in a long time, or maybe some that have never won one. Tennessee. I mean, you know what do those programs do? Did those programs take advantage? of a year where Kentucky hasn't been good or does it just happen again and Kentucky go on a run and do something magical? And if Kentucky does this, it would by far, I think, be one of the most magical runs. Just, I think going back to 2018 with Shea Gilgis-Alexander and the way that that team struggled in February, four-game losing streak, I thought that tournament run was fun. I thought it was one of the best moments of that season, probably the best moment of that season other than, you know, the – trip to Boise and how well they were playing out there. But if this team does that, then it kind of gives fans something to kind of love this team for, right? They beat Alabama. The, the hype going into the Saturday game will be very, very – I don't know. It it might become a letdown if they don't win it if they beat Alabama. But it's still going to be very tough to win two more games after that. Um, and I actually do think that they'll beat Alabama if they play. I'll just make that prediction now. But <laughs> – I, I hate to say that I'm, I'm I'm honestly just from looking at it and picking it, I'm more concerned about them getting by Thursday than I am if they play Alabama again because I think if they play Alabama again, they're going to have some motivation, and it just it just feels like that John Calipari will get them ready to play that day. They they let one slip away in Tuscaloosa. We have to remember here, Dante Allen was the reason they beat Mississippi State at Mississippi State. It took Dante Allen going on a heater for Kentucky to do that, but I, I think Kentucky's the better team. Yeah, Mississippi State, yeah, they're, they're, they're is not that a job? Is that a job that opens up? I think he's done okay enough this year that they'll probably keep him around. I mean. At some point it becomes a who are you going to go get at some yeah, places, that's what I'm right? Trying to think. Like, uh, I think the economic situation will be better, too, for some of these teams next year. And Hallen, I mean, he lost a lot, and it looks like at the very worst they're going to finish as a 500 team. I don't think that's horrible at Mississippi State. And they weren't – they went 8-10 and 10 in the conference. That's, you know, that's not – I don't think that's fireable at Mississippi State, basically. No. And they just went to the tournament last year. Hallen is a – he's fine. I, I would keep him around a little bit longer before you find somebody. I mean, I, I know Kenny Payne once upon a time was rumored for that job, right? He's a Mississippi native. Or at least he was born there. He's probably not lived there and very long time, but uh, doubt he would go back to that job now. But, yeah, Mississippi State's a good one just because it's a coach who's older and has been there, and it seems like he's – he probably won't get them back to the point where they were with Reggie Perry and Quindary Weatherspoon and some of those other guys that they had. But, no, that would be a hell of a time for them, though, to, for, for them to beat Kentucky for the first time and have a chance. And that would be – even though it's been a tough season for Kentucky, that could be a big win for, for Howland at this point in this 
tenure. And they got a few guys to watch, man. I mean, DJ Stewart is a he was a guy that really impressed me last year. I've not watched him play a ton this year, but I think he's probably their leading scorer. And uh, but no, I like Kentucky's roster better than better than Mississippi State for sure. I think Kentucky will win that game. Not ready to join you though, and uh, <laughs> predicting a win over Alabama. But I do think I'm, that will not be a game Alabama wants to play. No, and I'm not predicting Kentucky to win the SEC tournament, but. I just have a feeling that you're just gonna wait till Friday night for that, right? Oh God! If if they beat Alabama, you know I'm gonna end up getting on some little hot take that I always get on and be like, you know, Derek, they're probably gonna go to the Final Four or so who, win the, the, win the uh, East Regional. <laughs> who is the uh, is Florida in that four or five slot? Who are the teams in the mix? I know it's not finalized. Yeah, I think Tennessee can be one of those teams still. It's like you might have to go play Tennessee after. If you're asking me yeah. who I'm picking to win the SEC tournament, I think it's going to be Arkansas. Arkansas didn't look so hot today against a Texas A&M team that hadn't played. And since, you know, they, they played a few days ago. They only, it was a seven-point win. They came back and won in the second half. But, yeah, I could see. I, I like Arkansas. I like Musselman. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's gonna win it. We'll, we'll see. I'll, let's wait until the final bracket comes out tomorrow <laughs> and uh, go from there. No, I won't be picking. I just think it's too much of a task. Had Kentucky got to that spot where they could have played three in three days, I might have bought into it more. But if your path after if you beat Mississippi State is Alabama, Tennessee, or Florida, whether it's one of those teams, and then Arkansas, that that's rough. That's a rough stretch to win all three. I, I guess LSU's in there somewhere too, right? Three seed maybe. Yeah, yeah. LSU picked up a win at Missouri today, if I'm not mistaken, right? Didn't they get a win at Missouri? Yeah, LSU's the third highest rated team on Ken Palm. Yeah, <laughs> Sixteen and eight, not bad. Eleven. Ended up being a very good win for Kentucky. When yeah. they beat them back on January 23rd, I don't think the highest rated one. That. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, that was a good win for sure. Oh, sorry. You know, uh, and we'll we'll see higher. And we'll talk about all that this week when the SEC bracket's released. We'll record an episode, discuss it. We also have that episode with Liam Cohen that's going to drop at some point that we've recorded. And some of you will listen to this. Probably all of you will listen to this on Sunday. We're recording right now. It's 11 p.m. Eastern time. So I will. this episode will be up before midnight, but most of you will listen to it on Sunday. But you're going to get another episode on Sunday as well. Uh, we recorded something Friday, Friday afternoon discussing – uh, something that we're doing, something exciting about Kentucky Daily, and I'm going to go ahead and Derek tomorrow and probably just put that out there just to let people know. Sounds good. Because uh, we're we're pretty excited about that. So this this could be a very big week for Kentucky Daily. Obviously, it's a big week for Kentucky basketball. Uh, we'll be here to uh, get you through it, whether it's good or bad, and uh, we'll be here to break it all down for you. But this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time.